Well, good morning. How's everybody today? Good, good. All right. If you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on back. And Kidmo leaders, if you are a guest and have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a place for them to go to have their own time of teaching small groups and games and do their own thing while we're in here talking together. And uh, you're welcome to go take your second through fifth grader back with them and see where they're headed. Uh, they're going to be, I think, with Scott today. So you might want to go check on them um, and make sure. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it's a great opportunity for them to go and be a part of that. Let me also encourage you on this uh, the youth talk that this is a great thing for parents to be a part of. It really is not for kids. If you have younger kids, um, they're not, they don't need to come into this meeting as well. It's, it's a great conversation. How do you talk to your kids about sex? And uh, the truth is, is uh, it's not something that can be left to a youth leader, to a pastor. It can't be left to a book or to a video. Um, you need to be engaged with your children in this conversation. And it's not a one-time conversation. It's an ongoing. You're going to find as your kids get older, they're going to be exposed to new and different things. And so you need to begin that conversation with them, not let somebody else do that. Um, Christina has done that professionally, and uh, she's going to be sharing that with you as well. So I really do encourage you to be here, even if your kids aren't quite old enough. And to be honest, that age is getting younger and younger. Um, for what they're exposed to in public places. So you're, you're more than welcome to take part, even if you don't have a youth yet. You're welcome to come and uh, sit in there and be prepared for that. All right, uh, let me just uh, throw out the elephant in the room. I, 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 if you start looking at my foot, I've already had lots of questions. Uh, I've got a boot on. It's, most, it's the most fashionable thing in aircast technology, and uh, it's not from any crazy thing. It's from skiing, having a skiing accident and being old and clumsy. So uh, it's going to be, you're going to see it for the next few weeks. I know when I see somebody up with something like that, that's what I focus on, and I have a hard time moving past it. I imagine all the wonderful, incredible, crazy things they could have done to got that. None of those wonderful, crazy, incredible things for me, just being old and clumsy. But um, so anyways, wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, We're finishing up a series, which I think is a huge series for us today, the idea of burnout. It's not just burnout. It's the idea of burning brightly. Uh, We are called as Christians to burn bright in a world of overshadowing darkness. And what ends up happening for many of us is we get involved in a lot of great things and we become so tired and so overwhelmed and so exhausted that we eventually just want to give up. We just are so tired of everything and, and, and we don't want to do it anymore. Now for others, the way that sometimes works out is you find something you want to be involved with. You want to be a part of something and you're excited to be a part of it, but you think about adding one more thing to your life and it's overwhelming. God himself may show up and say, this is the best thing you can be a part of. This is where you need to spend your time. And, and your response can be, God, how am I going to do that? There could be something at church you want to be a part of. There could be something with friends that you want to be a part of. But you honestly just don't have the energy to continue. I want to start today with a story about a man by the name of Dave Shaw. Have you, how many have heard the story of Dave Shaw? Anybody? All right, good. I want to read part of this story. This, is, this has been out for a while, and I, I have the link if you would like to look up the story in its whole from Outdoor Magazine Online, Dave Shaw is an airline pilot and also a diver who found himself in a very difficult position. 
And I'm going to read just parts of this story, and I think what it does for me when I read it, I read this a year or two ago, and it, it literally quickened my heart on the, the direction my life was headed. Lots of wonderful things to be a part of, but an overarching sense of exhaustion that it, this was unsustainable. So this story came along, I read it, and it it had a profound effect on me because I could see myself in this story. And I'm, my bet is that many of you could see yourself in this story as well. Let me just start with the beginning opening. It's called Raising the Dead. It says, 10 minutes into his dive, Dave Shaw started to look for the bottom. Utter blackness pressed in on him from all sides, and he directed his high-intensity light downward, hoping for a flash of rock or mud. Shaw, a 50-year-old Aussie, was in an alien world more than 800 feet below the surface pool that marks the entrance to Bushman's Hole, a remote sinkhole in the northern Cape province of South Africa and the third deepest freshwater cave known to man. Shaw's stocky 5'10 body was encased in a black, crushed, neoprene dry suit. On his back, he carried a closed-circuit rebreather set, which, unlike traditional open-circuit scuba gear, was recycling the gas Shaw breathed, scrubbing out the carbon dioxide he excelled, and adding back oxygen. He carried six cylinders of gas, splayed alongside him like mutant appendages. On the surface, Shaw would barely have been able to move, but in the water, descending the, sh- the shot line, guiding from the cave's entrance to the bottom, he was weightless and graceful, a black creature with just a flash of skin showing behind his mask, gliding downward without emitting a single bubble to disrupt the ethereal silence. Only two divers had ever been to this depth in Bushman's before. One of them, a South African named Nuno Gomez, had claimed a world record in 1996 when he hit bottom, an open circuit gear, at 927 feet. Gomez had turned immediately for the surface, but Shaw, a Cathay Pacific Airlines pilot based in Hong Kong and a man who had become one of the most audacious explorers in cave diving, didn't strive for depth alone, He planned to bottom out Bushman's Hole at a depth no rebreather had ever been taken, connect a light reel of cave line to the shot line, and then swim off to perform the sublime act of having a look around. At that moment, late last October, cocooned in more than a billion gallons of water, Dave Shaw was a very happy man. Shaw touched down on the cave's sloping bottom well up from where Gomez had landed, clipped off the cave reel, and started swimming. There was no time to waste. Every minute he spent on the bottom, his VR3 dive computer said he was now approaching 886 feet, would add more than an hour of decompression time on the way up. Still, Shaw felt remarkably relaxed, sweeping his light left and right, reveling in the fact that he was the first human ever to lay line at this depth. Suddenly, he stopped. About 50 feet to his left, perfectly illuminated in the gin-clear water, was a human body. It was on its back, the arms reaching toward the surface. Shaw knew immediately who it was, Dion Dreyer, a 20-year-old South African who had blacked out deep in Bushman's 10 years earlier, had disappeared. Divers had been keeping an eye out for him ever since. Now the story goes on. And Dave Shaw and some of his diving buddies decide they wanted to not only break this record, they wanted to attempt the impossible. They wanted to go back and they wanted to recover Dion's body. 
Now, Dion had been staying, laying there on the bottom of Bushman's Hole for 10 years, but there's something about an adventure seeker that has to push the boundaries. Now, some of you in here, you know exactly how that feels because the, the lure of adventure is the flavor of life. And even if there's risk involved, even if there's great risk involved, that is what makes life worth living. Others look at this and don't even like hearing the story because they're already underwater at a place they couldn't survive on their own. Risk is not something that is a part of your everyday vocabulary. But for adventure seekers, for people who push the line consistently in their lives, this was an opportunity to do something no one else had done and also to reunite a family with their son who had died at the ocean floor. The next part of this article talks about their preparation and what they're going to have to do. It also describes a little bit of what happens when you use a rebreather. Whenever you recycle oxygen and you're diving, what inevitably happens is the filter is no longer able to keep up with a growing amount of of carbon dioxide the farther down you go. The reason that this was so dangerous and so few people have done it was not the pressure that they were at. It was the ability to breathe. The deeper you go, that pressure would begin to change what was happening within your cardiovascular system. And the oxygen would be depleted very quickly. Carbon dioxide would be inhaled increasingly. And you would begin to feel drunk. And you would begin to not be able to understand what you were doing next. You would just be overwhelmed with with this sense of, of being drunk, intoxicated. If you didn't get out or up to a level where things could begin to level out for you, then you would eventually black out and many of these deep water divers who die and end up at the bottom of the ocean floor end up there because they didn't come up in time. Instead, they stayed down or went too deep. They blacked out and no one could recover them at that point. So that's the situation and that is why it's so severe what these guys do and how significant it was that Dave Shaw wanted to go back and he just beat the record. Now he wants to go back and recover this body. And they spend several weeks preparing for this. How they're going to get the body up. Now you could imagine if this story was successful, I wouldn't be sharing it with you. But what I want to read to you next is the account of what happened when they viewed the video that was attached to his helmet. They began to recount what happened. Because Dave Shaw, when he went down to recover Dion's body, would never again surface alive. Let me read the rest of this story to you. It's not an easy thing to watch a person die, especially if that person is a friend. Less than an hour after the helmet cam was removed from Shaw's head, as Hiles made a copy of the video for the police at the top of the crater, Herbst, these are two guys helping in this endeavor, Herbst watched the film of Shaw's last dive. Later, he and Shirley, another good friend of his who calls it a snuff tape, examined it frame by frame, backward and forward, multiple times to try and understand every nuance of Shaw's death. The picture is dark and sometimes hard to see, but along with the sounds of Shaw's breathing, picked up with perfect clarity by the camera in the stillness of the cave, the video tells the tale of Shaw's final moments. When Shaw reached the body of Dion Dreyer, he is 12 minutes and 22 seconds into the dive, and he's been on the bottom for just over a minute. He pulls the body bag out and starts to try and work it over Dion's legs. As he does, a cloud of silt obscures the picture. 
When it clears Dion's body, its head having fallen off, is floating in front of Shaw. This was totally unexpected. Dion, as it turned out, was not completely skeletal, and he was no longer stuck in the silt. Instead of decomposing, his corpse had mummified into a soap-like composition that gave it mass and neutral buoyancy, and for some reason, no one has an explanation. The body had become unstuck from the mud as soon as Shaw started working on it. The fact that the body was now loose and not pinned to the ground was not one of the scenarios that we had thought about Shirley size. The body was not meant to be floating. It's, it's a lot easier to slip a bag over an immobile body than a body floating and rolling in front of you at 886 feet. Shaw starts fumbling and for the first time lets out an audible grunt of effort. Herps, listening intently through headphones, heard the steadily increasing distress in Shaw's breathing and knew there was trouble coming. Now, if you're diving at this depth with a rebreather, one of the indications that it's time to move on is when your breathing begins to increase. Anytime it starts to increase, that means you are now in deep trouble. So it's not a matter of, oh, it's just increasing. There's a sign that it's time to turn back. They see that. But there's a job to do. Herps, listening intently, said, breathe slower, man, breathe slower. He urged out loud, watching the video with a clear head. It's hard not to wonder why Shaw didn't just turn around right then and abandon the dive. In October, he had turned for the surface as soon as his breathing rate increased. Now he was panting, and Dion, who was attached to the cave line, was floating free. The body could have been pulled up. All the options involved putting the bag on, Shirley explains. He's sticking with this plan, which is what you have to do. Still, when Shirley first saw the video, he couldn't stop himself from pleading, leave it, leave it, leave the body now. It's loose and can come up. Shaw, however, is responding only to the pounding of his narcosis and his determination to finish the job. He keeps working to control the body, letting go of his cave light so he can use both hands. Dion is rolling and turning in front of him, resisting Shaw's effort to get him into the bag. Shaw has been at it for two minutes, and the cave line is seemingly everywhere. It snags on his cave light, and Shaw pauses to clear it. At this, Shirley and Herbst bridled. A cave diver should never let gear float loose. It's a recipe for disaster, says Shirley, who will always regret not being present when Sean told Hillis he would Put the light to the side at all times. Do not do that, he would have warned him. Now Shaw is acting confused. He is working at the torso instead of the feet. His movements have lost purpose. After more than two and a half minutes of work and three minutes and 49 seconds on the bottom, Shaw pulls his shears out, fumbling to open them. The plan was for him to cut the dive tanks away as he rolled the bag over Dion. Shaw's breathing rate continues to increase. Suddenly, he loses his footing on the sloping bottom. He scrambles back to the body in a cloud of silt. The grunts of effort, hateful little bursts of sounds, are painfully frequent. Shirley and Herps guess that Shaw's narcosis was then closer to six or seven martinis. You focus on the one thing. You don't focus on the dive anymore, Herps says. The one thing becomes everything. And I think with Dave, it became the body, the body, 
the body. Still, Shaw keeps checking the time on his dive computer. After five and a half minutes on the bottom, he's aware enough to know he has to leave, but he doesn't get far. The video shows the bottom moving beneath him. Then Shaw's forward progress stops. His errant cave light has apparently snagged the cave line tied to Dion's tanks. Shaw knows he has caught something and turns awkwardly. His breathing starts to sound desperate. He pulls at the cat's cradle of cave line as it trying to sort it out. Every breath is now a sharp grunt. Shaw struggles to move forward again, but is anchored by the weight of Dion's body. The shears are still in his hand, but he never cuts anything. The pace of his breathing keeps accelerating, and there is a tragic, gasping quality to it. So painful to listen to that Herbst and Shirley will no longer watch the video with sound. 21 minutes into the dive, the sounds finally start to fade. Dave Shaw, with carbon dioxide suffusing his lungs, is starting to pass out. He is dying. It's heartbreaking to watch. A minute later, there is no movement. Now, when I read this the first time, I'm not a diver. When I read this the first time, I could very quickly understand what it's like to be so overwhelmed with things you have to do that you begin to focus on one thing. All the other things going on in your life just begin to pale in comparison. They fade away, and no matter what danger you're in, no matter what trauma you may be inviting upon yourself, because you are no longer capable, it's not that you're no longer willing, but you're no longer capable of seeing alternative, healthy plans, you continue in a direction that will ultimately lead to your end. Now, for Dave Shaw, this meant literally an end to his life. For some of us, it means an end to us, our well-being spiritually, physically sometimes, definitely emotionally and psychologically. And so what I want to talk to you today about is what happens when the life you're living becomes so focused on one thing that you become blind to all the other things around you in your life, and it begins to lead you down a very deep, dark path. Because the problem is, is it's not apparent till it's already too late. See, burnout slowly comes over you. It suffocates you in small pieces until you realize that you are powerless to overcome its effects. I'm not talking about being tired. I'm not talking about ready to do something different. I'm talking about a state of being when you have reached so much exhaustion that you literally want to give up on everything. The kind of burnout that you no longer can think about where, what is possible in the world. What is God doing in the world? What is my place and purpose in this world? What begins to happen is we begin to focus on the thing at hand and how much we hate it and how exhausted we make ourselves pursuing it. For some of us, those are attitudes that we've developed because of our jobs. For some, there's a hobby that has begun to run our lives and we are now no longer enjoying it, but we're so far in, we can't stop. Sometimes it can be at the church when we first get involved and to get started in something and we want to be a part, but yet we don't take time to recuperate and the exhaustion takes over and we begin to hate the thing that we used to love. Here's what I know, and this is what we've shared in previous weeks, that God values a strong work ethic. There's no indication anywhere in Scripture that God's blessing upon a person means that you will live comfortably without effort. There is not a single person who followed God that that is their story. 
When we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. For many of us, where we are in life right now is a result of being hard workers. You have worked hard at your jobs. You have worked hard at your family. You have worked hard at your hobbies. You have worked hard in places. And you are proud of where you have come from, as you should be. In addition, what happens when we work hard and we're so comfortable with how hard we've worked, we begin to take credit for every path along the way. And we believe it's all due to my own effort. Those decisions that we made, we don't necessarily acknowledge the people who influenced those decisions that led to where we are. We often don't recognize the grace of God as he has poured it out on us so that we would be in relationships with people that could help us get where we have come. Many times we even ignore the very grace of where we have been born or what community we have been born into. There are so many things that indicate a person's level of success. Yet because we are sinful people, we are always going to want to believe I did it all on my own. It's the original sin. It's the sin that began the war in heaven when Satan would strive against God to say, I want what you have. I don't need you. I do this on my own. So you and I perpetuate that sin in our lives today. And often what that does is it leads us to a place of burnout. That same drive to work is often the same drive that leads us to deplete our spiritual, emotional, psychological resources and pushes us towards burnout. The end of the day, many of you attribute success to all of the activities that you're a part of. And you become so busy. I become so busy. And our busyness blinds us to the toll that it's taking on our lives. See, God wants you to work. God wants you to be productive. And as we talked about work last week, work is the ability to contribute to others. It's not just about getting a paycheck. It's about how in my life am I spending my resources to contribute to the lives and the welfare and the well-being of others. Sometimes that work does involve a paycheck, but oftentimes it does not. But we become so busy that we become blind to these effects. As Dave Shaw begins to fight and struggle and his, he's working this body, trying to get it in a body bag. There was a plan in place. They had practiced this. He just needed to get this done. He became so focused on the task at hand that he ignored every warning sign saying this is going to end badly. That's the story of Dave Shaw. And to be honest, as I look back through my adult life, there have been many of those times for me. There are a lot of times we want to look at burnout and being overcommitted and overworked. And we want to blame somebody else for it. But at the end of the day, the person that's most responsible for you not burning out is, guess who? You. How can you do that if you're blind because you are so focused to ignore all of the other things around you? I want to talk to you today about the biblical requirement for all of God's people to take a Sabbath. Sabbath is not a suggestion. Sabbath is not something that is a good idea. 
Sabbath is something that God has said, there, there is no debate. You must take a Sabbath. You were created for a rest. If you never stop, you will reach the point of burnout. If you don't address burnout, it will lead to a very close, dark life. As we look through Scripture, what is a Sabbath? I've got five questions I want to share with you. Or I want to try to answer. The first one is, what is basically a Sabbath? Did you know that God created us? He created you with a need for rest and recreation. You were built with that need. If you believe that you are a highly capable person who does not need rest, you ignore the very basic foundational building blocks that God built within you, something you have no control over and no way to train through. We need a rest. In Genesis chapter 2, God models this for us. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. We'll read in Exodus where God commands us to follow that same schedule. Remember, and this is Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all of your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When is the last time you had a 24-hour period of rest? Think through that. When is the last time you had a 24-hour period of rest? Now, I have to be open with you to say that this that I'm talking to you about, I am highly guilty of not following what I'm telling you. But I will also tell you that I'm committed to making this a part of my life, which is one of the reasons we're doing this series right now, because it is so evident that it is needed in many of our lives. We are called to have a time of rest. Why do we need a Sabbath? Just because God said so? I don't need it. I can get by a little sleep. I can get by. I'm actually, I'm better when I'm tired. I've heard people say that before. And they're crazy. I'm better when I'm exhausted. I'm better when I don't. I'm more focused. And yet, as we just read, Dave Shaw was likely the most focused he's ever been on any task before. He's not a guy who was just out ready to go thrill seek. He was also a very professional airline pilot for a commercial airline. He was a professional. He knew the cost of limits if you didn't follow them. And yet, because he was so focused... And not thinking about his own well-being. It did not end well for him. Why do we need one? Sabbath literally from the Hebrew means a day of rest. But I would go so far as to say that a day of rest is not enough to call it a Sabbath. Many of us can sit around and do nothing. But the point of a Sabbath is not that we just sit around and do nothing. We have to take a day off. The point of the Sabbath is that you are filled back up for the next six days of work. 
See, God wants us to work. God wants you to work. God wants to see you involved in contributing to others. I love to see somebody who goes the extra mile and doesn't just skirt in in the least amount they can possibly do. I love to see a commitment to doing things well and to say this is worthwhile to be a part of. I'll give of myself to make this happen. That, that God shines on that. But he's not just saying you've got to have a break. Go see a movie. Lay in bed all day. But I would say instead the Sabbath when it is most fulfilled is when we spend a day of rest committed to communing with God. See, it's a refilling. All throughout life, you live on the basic principle of banking. There are so many places that this is applicable within our lives. If I go to the bank and I want something and I go to write a check or go to the ATM to pull out money and there's nothing in there, how much do you think I'm getting out? Not much. In your marriage, your marriage is going to increase the more deposits you make into that relationship so that on those days that you're not at your best and you've got to make a withdrawal, there's something to pull from. See, there are so many times that relationships break, not because something went wrong, it's because not enough went right before it went wrong. So we have given, 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 given until there's nothing left until finally there's the straw that broke the camel's back, right? And because we're empty, the relationship crumbles. See, there are many places that that is applicable within us, not only physically, not only monetarily, but spiritually and emotionally. When it comes to your ability to handle work and large amounts of things to be involved with, this principle also applies and that you can give, 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 but you are not capable of that amount of sustained giving unless you are being replenished. You cannot be replenished if all you're doing is sitting and watching Netflix all day. There is a part that your soul must be replenished. That only happens when you spend time with God. Yet an amazing thing happens when you allow God to replenish your soul. You have so many other resources to draw on for the rest of the things you do that week. I'm not suggesting this is the only time you spend with God, but I'm suggesting that an a intentional Sabbath will give you more energy and resources for everything else you'll do in your life. We need a Sabbath because we need a rest. It's not an option for anyone. Mark chapter 2 is a great story of Jesus when he's yet again being accused of breaking the law when it has to do with the Sabbath. Verse 23 says, One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. Now get the picture. This is the Sabbath Now, we kind of leave the Sabbath up to whenever you want. Sometimes Sunday is the Sabbath. Sometimes Saturday is the Sabbath. Some of you get a different day off in the week. That's your Sabbath. But in Jewish culture, the Sabbath was pretty much the same day for everybody every day of the week. It was generally accepted. And so if you were working on the day that no one else was, they noticed, hey, you're breaking what God said to do, which was to take a Sabbath. And Jesus, since he was regularly the guy that people would continually attacked for not being a good Jew. He was walking through the fields with his disciples, breaking off some grain so they could eat along the way. And somebody said, hey, he's working. Which I like to pick up my food and put it in my mouth 
on my days off as well, it makes it helpful for the digestive system rather than to just sit there and look at it. So they began to give him a hard time. You shouldn't do anything. You should literally be laying there and do nothing. I mean, that's the way you honor God. And Jesus is going to teach us through them an incredible concept about the Sabbath. How important it is that it was made for you and me. We were not made for the Sabbath. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus said in verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. God gave us the Sabbath not to throw a fly in the ointment, but because we needed it. You and I need it. We cannot be our best without it. Rest is truly not an option for anyone. One of the reasons that I believe that we need the Sabbath and one of the reasons that God, I believe God orchestrated that within us instead of us working seven days out of a seven-day week is because it is in the times of rest that many of us have to acknowledge we are not in control of the world around us. See, the Sabbath is the ultimate control breaker. Because at the moment that we have to rest, we acknowledge we don't have control of what's going on around us. See, one of the reasons some of us work nonstop is because we believe that if we stop spinning the plates, the plates will all fall. If we stop juggling the balls, the balls are going to hit the ground and there will be a a terrible end to our lives. And there is a place where God says, stop and rest and trust that I can keep what needs to be going, going. See, as I look through my life, and I've shared this with you guys throughout this series, Deidre and I, one of our primary conversations that we have are the things coming up in the schedule, and what are we going to do, and what are we going to not do? In other words, it's the conversation of which plate gets to be spinning, and which plate do we just kind of leave on its own? Now, some of us have a great sense of responsibility, and we feel like I've got to make them all spin. If somebody then brings me a plate and spins it and puts it by me, I've got to spin that one too. So many times what we do is we allow other people to bring us their tasks and we do it for them so they don't have to. Why? So one of the reasons for the Sabbath is for us to recognize there are times that we need to let some plates fall. And we need to trust God that he'll keep the plate spinning that need to continue spinning. Now, let's be practical. If you decide that, you know, I haven't had a Sabbath in the last 7, 14, 21, 31 years. I think I'll take one tomorrow. I'm going to tell my boss and God will keep my job spinning. That may or may not happen. There is a place for wisdom in all things following God's commands, right? 
We've got to use wisdom in the way that we exercise. I can't just decide, you know what, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I'm not doing my homework. Hey, my pastor said I needed a Sabbath, and so I didn't get to write that paper. You're still going to get a zero on it. I'm not talking about times. There are times we need to be smart about how we express this. But ultimately, we need a Sabbath because it reminds us that God is in control, and this is His plan, and it's not up to me to make it happen. What would happen in your life if all of the things you're trying to make happen, you were to give up and say, it's not my place to make this happen? If God wills it, it will happen. So why don't we take a Sabbath? There's a lot of reasons we don't take a Sabbath. One of the reasons is just quite honestly fear. You and I, though we may not acknowledge it, often live with a great amount of fear. Some, one of the fears that I have to be you know, very aware of in my own life is I have a fear that I'm going to miss something. Anybody else? I have no idea what could happen, but it could be awesome and I don't want to miss it. How many times do we keep plate spinning because we're afraid we're going to miss something? More often than not, though, it is the fear that we are not capable enough or valuable enough without our work to define us. We let our jobs define our value. We let our responsibilities define our value. In fact, we want other people to know how much we work. Because that makes us feel valuable. There's a great fear in giving that up. Another, as I've already mentioned, why we don't take a Sabbath is control. I need to believe that my life is a result of my efforts in fill in the blank. I determine my own destiny. I determine what I'm going to do in my life. I am the one who's responsible for all of this. Anything good in my life, I did that. That's me. We need to control. That's one of the ways that sin works within our lives. Another reason we don't take a Sabbath is sometimes it's just poor choices. We just don't plan well. I have chosen to pack my schedule without any planned time for rest. Sometimes we say yes to too many things. Sometimes we don't say no to the things we're supposed to say no to. As Christians, this can be a really terrible battle to fight because as a Christian, if someone asks for my help, I'm supposed to help them, right? I mean, if some, somebody asks for my coat, I'm supposed to give them my tunic as well, right? If somebody wants me to go a mile with them, I should go three miles with them, right? If they say, Mark, I need you to do this for me, I should just say, yeah, right? Right, right for me to do it. Sometimes we need to say no. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said no. People asked for miracles. He said no. Why wouldn't you perform a miracle? Look at all these people who could be believers now. No, I'm not going to do it. At times he would stop in the middle of the height of an event with thousands of people. He would just stop, get in a boat, and go somewhere else. He constantly said no. Why do we as Christians believe that in order to be a good follower of Jesus, we have to say yes to everything? The truth is, we need to be better at saying what we say yes to and what we say no to. What value does this have in the world and in God's plan? Another reason we don't take a Sabbath is similar to the fear of missing something, and that is that we are trying to live life to the fullest. We are just trying to get every bit of this life that we can, and yet... Somewhere along the way, that leads us to believe 
that experiences in this world are better than time with God. The things that I might miss are more important than the time I'm missing with Him. Whenever you're out of whack in the time you spend with God, you will be out of whack in the time you spend everywhere else. The Sabbath helps put it back into perspective. So what would happen if we did take a Sabbath? Isaiah 55, is a, the first couple of verses in Isaiah 55 talk about what God offers versus what we often choose for ourselves. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. And what he's trying to say is, why substitute the time that I'm going to spend with you and open up all the curtains of what's happening in the universe? Why are you going to trade that for this thing that leads you to disappointment? That leads you to burnout? That leads you to focus on the wrong things? That leads you to a place where you hate life? Instead, accept what's being offered that is good and better. What would happen if we did take a Sabbath? Now, it's, for everyone, it's different. Some of the, some of the things that, that come to my mind are this. You would see the world differently if you took a Sabbath. What would have happened if someone else with a clear mind was at the bottom of Bushman's cave with Dave Shaw? And said, Dave! Stop. Just stop. Think about what's happening. He's dead. He is gone. There's no bringing him back. If you don't stop, you will join him. See, some of us have those friends in our lives and we have silenced their voices because they are frustrating our attempts to control our own world. But what if there had been an earbud in his ear? Dave, stop! See, it may be that somebody's whispering that in your ear right now. But because you have gone so long without caring for your soul, you are focused on all the things that lead to your own burnout. You're not focused on the things that can lead to life. The Sabbath restores perspective can't tell you how many times if you want two things to help you see the struggle that you're dealing with differently number one is a good night's rest you will be amazed what a good night's rest will do a good night rest clears your mind and gives you the ability to make a change second thing is the sabbath if you want to see what you're going through differently, if you will take a Sabbath, your perspective on nothing will have changed, but your perspective on it will. You'll be more apt and able to make wise decisions rather than rash ones. Another thing that's going to happen is that your relationship with God will deepen. If you take a Sabbath, not just a time to play games all day, not just to watch, you know, catch up on your the favorite three seasons of a show, but you intentionally say, I'm going to spend this time just clearing my mind, focusing on God, trying to know what he's trying to say to me, 
your relationship with Him will deepen. What will also happen is that your relationship with your family will deepen. So I look back on our family and the things that we've done. It's the time that we stop to go do something else that creates the memories that bind us together. It's not how busy we are so that we can provide. It's those experiences together. Your relationships with your family will deepen. You will become more effective at the work you do. I, I, I can, uh, like clockwork, look at my life. I, I've, I've told, uh, I know Sean and I have been working now for about three years together. And uh, occasionally I just have to say, listen, I, I've not gotten a lot of sleep. I'm not at my best. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to handle things well. But I can tell you that whenever I become least effective in what I'm doing, rest always restores that. Rest always restores that. In fact, it's the trying hard over and over and over without stopping that you become less and less effective and more and more frustrated because you're less effective. Sabbath will help you be more effective in the time that you do work. And I guarantee if you'll begin to implement a Sabbath within your life, you will find that you'll be more productive in three days than you were in seven days of a week before. You also will find that your outlook of the world will not just become more positive. You'll find that you have a lot more options in the world than you thought. Burnout decreases your options. Sabbath restores them. What do I mean by that? Does that mean that you're going to get a whole lot of job offers if you just stop working? That's not what I mean. The option may not be that something just comes swooping in and rescues you from whatever situation you're in. But because you see the world different, you troubleshoot your problems differently, you deal with stressors differently, and instead of looking at that one focused thing like Dave did, just trying to get Dion's body in the body bag, you begin to open up your field of vision and realize, you know what, there's a lot of other things I could do here. But if we don't ever stop to consider that, we just burn out. Here's what I want to leave you with. How do you get started? Isn't that where the rubber meets the road? It's good to talk about this stuff. It's good to say this is what we need to do. How do we do it? Well, I'll tell you there's no simple answer. Whenever you have adopted a worldview that everything that you have depends on you, it is not an easy thing to give that up. Whenever you've made yourself so busy for fear that you're going to lose something precious to you, it is hard to give that up. In those situations, you have to fight the need for control. You have to fight the urge to fear. What I'm suggesting is not easy, but there has to be a starting point. And at some place, it has to begin with faith in a God who believes in you. Trusting that God is going to be able to handle this. That if God wants my job to go away, it's going to go away, but something else will replace it. If this activity that I'm volunteering for and I've got no time for myself anymore because the job now has taken so much out of me, then it's time to deal with that and trust that God is going to be able in his great planning to move you to the place where he wants you to be. How do we get started? Number one, remember the Sabbath. Simple, right? The idea that we need to work seven days a week 
you need to recognize that is an unhealthy way of living life. Remember the call to the Sabbath. Especially, especially when you feel that you're carrying the world on your shoulders. You're not God. God is not going to put you in a place where you have to do His job for Him. Remember the Sabbath. Number two, this is so broad, I even hesitate to say it, but it is true. Stop trying to control every moment of your life. Now, that's easy to say. Not easy to do. I would say it's a win for some of us just to recognize that we are trying to control every moment of our life. And that there are ways for us to break that. Number three, practical, just stop. Just stop for a day. Trust God and what he says is good for you. Number four, on your Sabbath, rest. Rest. Okay, this is my Sabbath. I, I, haven't, I mean, I've been working like crazy and I'm not sectioned off any time for this, but I really need to rake the leaves today. Or I really need to touch up the house today. Or I really need to whatever it is for you. Rest. It's amazing when your heart rate decreases. It's amazing when the blood pressure begins to reduce. It's amazing when you finally sit down and you realize the world's still spinning. I'm still breathing. Life's going on. One of the wonderful things about being created in the image of God is a great amount of creativity from the one who is the most creative of it in everything. It's amazing where your mind wanders when you rest. It's amazing what you see when you rest. It's amazing whenever you're headed to the store because you've got to get something. I mean, you'll miss everything that's going on around you. And the difference between taking a drive and soaking it all in. You see more. You take in more. It's amazing what you realize is happening around you. Rest on your Sabbath. Don't. And this is... This is I am terrible at this. Don't get workout. But rest. I'm not suggesting your rest has to be on Sunday. Some of you, your rest may be on Tuesday. Some of you have rotating schedules and your Sabbath will change based on your schedule for that week. Rest on your Sabbath. And number five, how do you get started? In this time of rest... Resist the temptation to make it all about you. Spend time with God. Spend time with God in that. You were created with the need for a Sabbath so that you can rest and commune with the one that has already written your master plan. Will we trust him to fulfill that plan in our lives? Or do we have to be in absolute control of it ourselves? I'm going to pray with you and the kind of response to a sermon like this, it really depends on where you are in life. Some of you are, are really great at this. I mean, this, you've walked with us through this series, and, but you know, you're used to, you're, you take a Sabbath. This is important for you. You have made this uh, an important part of your life. But my guess is that many of us in the room, that is not the case. 
we are driven by some self sense of importance. I'm so important, everybody needs me. We're driven by the urgency of something. Oh, this has to be done right now. I find that the things that have to be done right now are far fewer than people try to communicate to you. Regardless, I pray that you will find a place for rest. God only does not only want us to be his agents in this world. He wants us to enjoy our time with him. He wants us to experience the fullness of walking with him. And he wants us to experience rest because we need it. And the world just quite honestly is so much better and broader when we have that opportunity to soak it all in and rest. So my prayer for you is that you will accept the challenge to take a Sabbath. If you're not capable of taking the Sabbath, surround yourself with people that will help you do that. It will take some planning and some of your lives to begin to distance yourself from some of the tasks that you have. You can't just give them up overnight. Find people that can help you with that. Deidre and I, we've spent about two years working a plan to take where our lives had become unmanageable to a place where they can be managed and we can enjoy life and we can live as a family. It's taken us a couple of years to put some building blocks in place to make that possible, but it is possible. It may take some planning for you, but commit to letting God's plan be lived out in your life. Father, God, I thank you that you are a God who has given us so many incredible abilities and skills. You have allowed us to... uh, to be able to contribute to the world, to help others. Father, I thank you for all the ways you have built your character and your image into us. God, I pray that you would help us to not only live this world as fast and as hard as we can, but that we would be able to enjoy all the wonderful things that you have built into it. I pray for those that are struggling today with burnout. And right now, just like Dave Shaw, they are just focused on the task at hand. They can't think of anything else. Help them just to stop and to rest. Let our view open up and be able to see more. Father, I pray that you would help us to follow your plan rather than feeling that we have to be in control of our own plan. Give us the humility in order to follow so that we don't have to always lead. Father, I pray that in those times that we do take a rest, that you would speak to us, that we would be able to commune with you, that we would grow deeper in our relationship with you. Father, help us to take the steps in this world that you want us to take. Not the steps somebody else is telling us to take. Not the steps that we feel compelled because we are in control of our own destiny. But instead, we're capable of following you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.